Good to be with you this morning, Sherwood Oaks Bedford. How are we doing this morning? Good? Great. Well, my name is Quentin Bemis, and I'm so excited to be with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the worship pastor up at East Campus, and my wife Renee and I, and we have a two-year-old son named Lincoln, and we've been here since September 1st, so right around seven months, actually, I think, today. So it's been such a blessing to be a part of Sherwood Oaks. Uh, this church, man, across all three locations, you can feel the kingdom impact that this community is having, not only in Bloomington and in Bedford, but around the world. And I just, I take pride in celebrating that about our church. So it's, it's so good uh, to be here this morning. Uh, just a little background on our family. My wife and I both grew up in West Central Indiana, and uh, I spent four years at Indiana University from 2009 to 2013. And during that time, I got to spend a summer doing an internship with none other, none other than Tim Thompson, uh, which you all get the privilege of having down here now. And uh, not only did I intern with him, but I actually also lived with him uh, for that time period. So after the service today, I will be accepting bribes for information that you can use to blackmail him later. Uh, so just come see me afterwards, and I'll be glad to share all the things you want to know and don't want to know about Tim. <laughs> Uh, but for real, I'm, I'm very grateful uh, for Tim and his influence and impact in my life. In 2013, my wife and I had the privilege of being married by Tim. And then shortly after that, we, or actually right before that, we, uh, I moved down and Renee joined me after we got married to start our first ministry assignment in Newburgh, Indiana, where we spent four years in worship ministry there. And that was a beautiful season uh, where we got to enjoy just kind of getting our feet wet with uh, this ministry world. And then in 2017, my wife and I felt the call to move to Portland, Oregon with a small group of friends and uh, what became our family, a spiritual family to us, to help start a new church in the heart of urban, of, of urban Portland. And uh, it, was a, it was a tough, trying two years, moving away from everything we'd ever known here in Indiana to someplace foreign, a distant land that we knew nothing about, uh, to plant a new spiritual community in a place that so desperately needed it. And we learned a lot and we grew in that season, uh, but in 2019 we really felt uh, this need to pray about relocating back to the Midwest to be nearer to family. And so in 2019, uh, around March, April, we began to wrestle with Jesus about what that could look like. And so naturally I called my friend Tim and just asked him to be in prayer for us and said, hey, if you hear of anything that might be open to hiring in ministry around the area or in the network, let me know. And he said, well, let me just tell you what's uh, happening here at Sherwood Oaks. Uh, that was in May, and then four months later, we were once again on the road moving back to Indiana to be a part of the transition happening here. And uh, the rest is kind of history. So the last three years of life have taught our family a lot about what it means to have a resilient faith in Jesus, to keep our heads up in the midst of struggle, to trust Jesus even when we couldn't feel or see him. From nearly, nearly a year of struggles of getting pregnant to the stress and heartache of leaving all you know to move someplace distant, to start up something that doesn't exist and you can't see, then leaning into Jesus to seek vision and direction as we began to move back towards the Midwest. We learn to rely on our faith in Jesus more than ever. And so I love this series that we're in as a church, getting to dive into the book of Daniel and look specifically in at the life of Daniel the man as an epitome of faith that we can look to for guidance as we walk in this world. 
So last week, uh, let's, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you've got, as Tim called it last week, a Bible Bible, you can turn to uh, Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be picking up that story where we left off last week. And Tim last week set up the story really well. Uh, we're in the part of the story where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, uh, has kind of made this really unrealistic demand of his enchanters, his wise men, the magicians, basically anybody, because he's been having these dreams that trouble him, and he's declared, not only do I want the interpretation, but you have to tell me what the dream is so that I know you're not making this up and that you're actually divinely inspired. And as Tim said, though it's really unrealistic and he kind of flew off the handle a little bit, there probably is just a little bit of genius in Nebuchadnezzar's demand, because he knew that if these wise men and enchanters and diviners really were divinely inspired people in touch with the gods, they'd be able to do it. So in some ways, it's not so unrealistic, but to us it, it, and to the wise men, it was like, what in the world are we supposed to do with this? So that happened last week, and the wise, uh, Tim left off in the book where the wise men basically say, no one can do this. The gods, you know, the gods can do that, but they don't live among men, so what in the world are we supposed to do? And that's where the story picks up today for us. So we're going to begin in Daniel chapter 2, verse 12. If you want to follow along on the screens, it'll be up here. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, I'm going to read. We've got kind of a lot of text to work through today. So I'm just going to read this entire passage that we're going to pick apart today in its entirety all the way through. And then we'll work back and pick it apart. Are you ready? Okay, buckle up. Here we go. Verse 12. Because of this, the king was very angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. They sought to kill Daniel and his companions to kill them. Uh, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and thus said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Then Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. 
Your dream and the visions in your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. He who reveals mysteries has made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. That's a lot of text to work through. So let's stop and let's kind of go back. Here we have yet again an example of Daniel showing himself faithful in the midst of some really tough, unexpected, unrealistic circumstances. And God grants him the courage and wisdom not only to survive this moment, as we're going to see, but also to thrive and to gain an influence that would impact the culture of Babylon and surrounding cultures for years to come. Oftentimes, I think it's easy to read passages like this and look at someone like Daniel and go, man, just Daniel is the man. I could never do that. I don't have that kind of wisdom. I'm not that courageous. I would not have kept my cool like he did. I would have panicked. I'd have been like, where's the back door? I'm going to slip out this way so that I don't get killed. I'm just out to save my own skin. And for most of us, you know, that's probably true. We aren't equipped for those kind of circumstances. But not because we aren't capable. It's because we haven't done the hard work of developing a resilient faith before crisis hits. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, listen to this. This is like the big overarching theme that I think we can pull from Daniel's life in this moment. Resilient faith is formed in the moments when you don't need it. Resilient faith is formed in moments when you do not need it. To develop the kind of faith that Daniel has in this moment, it takes a lot of little moments before that and a lot of little decisions leading up to it. It takes us seeking after Jesus here and now when life seems easier, easier. Spouses spend their whole lives building lasting marriages through little intentional moments. Students spend years and years, you remember the days, you know, when you were in high school, even in college, you spend years studying for these exams, practicing uh, for recitals and music school, whatever it may be, just so you can take that last exam and graduate, get that diploma, and hope you might get that one job interview. And then you spend years and years on top of that, building a career in little moments by showing up day after day, giving it your best. Children are raised to be independent, functioning members of society through never-ending devotion of loving parents. It's all in the little moments. Because without all those little moments, when crisis hits, we'd fall apart. Resilient faith is formed in these moments when we don't need it, as we're going to see in the life of Daniel. Malcolm Gladwell states in his book, Outliers, it takes nearly 10,000 hours of intentional practice and time investment to master any given subject or practice. Think about that, 10,000 hours. Now, while I don't think that faith is necessarily something that you can master and just have down perfectly, how many of you think that you've actually spent over the course of your life 10,000 intentional hours developing your faith? Think about that for a minute. How many of us have actually put that kind of time in to understanding who God is, to trusting in his word, to praying, to worshiping him, to develop that kind of a resilient faith? I'm sure that for many of us, that's probably not the case. For some of us, we haven't even been alive 10,000 hours yet, maybe. You're just getting started in this life period. For others of you, maybe you're just now on the cusp of starting to understand who Jesus is. Your faith is brand new, and you're trying to figure out, where do I even begin with this? Or maybe you've been in crisis mode for a while, and you're just like, look, I, just, I need somebody to throw me a rope here. I need to get out of this pit that I've fallen into. 
Or maybe you've been a Christian for years, but your faith has just kind of been this passive thing on the back burner that you just kind of pull out when you need, but just, you know, you put it back in its little drawer and it just kind of stays compartmentalized off to the side. And it's not really an active part, an integral part of your entire life. Maybe today's the time for you to begin to take that next step. So let's look back at these few verses and focus in on a couple things that I think we can glean from Daniel's life and his response in this moment to help us develop resilient faith to walk in this cultural moment. So let's look back at verses 13 through 16. This is what it says. Uh, So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel, listen to this, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Pause. Notice that Daniel went to the king to request a time before he knew the answer. I think that's pretty profound, right? That shows Daniel's deep, resilient faith in that moment. But what I think we can glean from this passage, too, if we go back to verse 14, it says he replied with prudence and discretion. And notice he simply just asked a question of Arioch. He kept his cool in that moment. Now, I imagine that most of us probably haven't been under the literal threat of death, you know, in your job if you get some kind of unrealistic demand placed on you or in life. Most of the time it's not, uh, make sure that this uh, spreadsheet is all right or I'm going to kill you. That's usually not the case. (laughs) Maybe at worst fired, which is still bad enough, but most of us haven't been under the threat of death. But Daniel was, and he still kept his cool in this moment. To have this kind of response in life's unexpected, unrealistic demands, we need to seek a peace that is found only in Jesus. I believe that this kind of response is only possible when we have inner peace with who Jesus is and what he promises to us. Daniel, I think, had this that allowed him to respond with a level head in this situation, and not in a forced way, but this actually came natural to him. I love the way the book of Psalms begins. In the very first book of Psalms, this is the first three verses. Listen to this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Isn't that just such a peaceful, calming image of someone who just chooses to press in to the Lord and to study his word, to pray and meditate on it? And it's just this peaceful, calming vibe. And I think that kind of peace is contagious. Uh, so uh, back in 2012, I got to spend a week at Arizona Family Camp with Sherwood Oaks, uh, went down and was helping lead some worship for it. And we spent a week uh, building some homes, doing some ministry opportunities with uh, the Indian Reservation there. And on our way back, uh, I got put on a flight. That was, I was kind of by myself. I left earlier than the rest of our crew. So I was by myself flying out, and I had a layover in, I believe it was Dallas. And due to storms, whatever reason, we kind of got stuck out on the runway once we had landed. We got stuck out there for about an hour longer than we should have. How many of you have been there just sitting on an airplane, crammed? All you can think is, get me off of here. And I've been sleeping on like air mattresses and sleeping bags for weeks, so I'm just ready to get to my own bed at this point. So patience is already running a little thin. Um, You know, and I'm in college, so I don't really have like the resilient faith of the level head that I probably might have had today. Uh, But I did meet someone on that plane uh, who was actually headed 
back to Indianapolis as well. And so we'd kind of connected as we were sitting there with nothing else to do for an hour. And as we got off the plane, we realized we're probably not going to make our connecting flight. So we sprinted through the airport, uh, found out we'd missed it, then went and found a ticket counter to try and kind of remedy the situation. And as we got there, we noticed that there was another gentleman who uh, was a doctor who was just absolutely tearing into this receptionist there. I mean, just words that I'm not going to repeat in church or any other time, uh, just flying left and right. And he is just frustrated and furious. And I, we, we both felt so bad for the lady on the other side because it's not her fault that he missed his flight. It's the weather, nothing you can control. But he just berated and berated. And slowly I found myself kind of just doing this from that guy, just getting a little bit further, a little bit further away. Just I don't want to get associated with him. Thank you. But then the, the, the gentleman that I had met, I observed him just calmly walk up to the counter next to her and just begin to explain his situation and say, look, if you could get me to an airport near Indianapolis tonight, because there weren't any other flights to Indy, he said, if you can get me somewhere near Indy tonight, I've got a rental car that I can get through my company. I just want to get home to my family and see my son's cross-country meet tomorrow. And so they did, and he was going to Louisville. And he turned to me and he says, hey, I'm flying to Louisville, and then I'm going to drive up to Indianapolis tonight. You're welcome to ride with me. Just met the dude about an hour ago, and I was like, got nothing to lose. Let's go. <laughs> so sure enough, at about 3 in the morning, we rolled up into Indianapolis in this guy's rental car. Renee picked me up, and we went to my family's house, and uh, the rest is history there. Uh, but it was this man's calm demeanor and his calm approach to this really, really tough situation that just kind of drew me in. And I was like, I'd rather be associated with him than Mr. Fly off the handle over here. And I think that's what we see in Daniel is... I have to imagine that Arioch was kind of like stunned at how calm Daniel seemed in this moment. And when we choose to discipline ourselves in the quiet moments in life, to draw near to God through his word, through prayer and worship, we plant seeds of faith that enable us to have a calming response to the world around us. And see, we live in this fast-paced, always anxious, over-marketed, over-caffeinated, entertainment-driven, keeping up with the Joneses-fueled culture that works hard at keeping us anything but at peace. See, I think the greatest work of the enemy of Satan in today's world is this. Satan doesn't have to keep us sinning anymore. Satan just has to keep us distracted and anxious. That's all it's going to take for us to, de for us to be derailed from the kingdom work that God has called us to. He doesn't need to get us into some deep, dark sin anymore. He just needs to keep us distracted, focused on the wrong things, and anxious, marketed at, and chasing after the next high. Mark Sayers, a cultural pastor and commentator based in Australia, has this to say about what our gospel-centered response in the midst of this culture should be. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, and then there's part of this is a quote. It says this, the church is called to be a people of peace, a calming, non-anxious presence in the midst of an anxiety-ridden culture. Just one person like this has the power to change entire cultures. Do you see that in Daniel? Have you seen that so far in his story? Just two chapters in. His peaceful, non-anxious presence allowed him to influence Babylonian culture for years to come, as we're going to see in the coming weeks. Let's look now at verses 17 and 18. Then Daniel went into his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. This isn't a hidden point at all. This is pretty plain and simple, and I think Daniel understood this really, really well. You can't do life alone. You cannot do life alone, and you shouldn't have to. 
Daniel had that one figured out. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were his ride or dies. Quite literally in this case, because they were all about to die together. Uh, he knew he needed them to pray with him and for him because he was on the clock to get an answer from God to interpret the king's dream. But here's the thing. Daniel didn't wait until he got into that moment to develop those relationships. He began planting those seeds long before this moment. Dan they were all good buddies already. They had relationship together. So don't wait until you're in the midst of the crisis to begin developing strong spiritual relationships. When you're in the middle of crisis mode, you can't focus as well. You can't give into the relationship the way that you need to because you're seeking help yourself. And relationships are two-way streets. You need to build that so when the moment comes, you have friends there to pick you up. So don't wait. And this is a shameless plug. I'm not even going to be shy about this. We have a wonderful, wonderful small groups ministry class ministry, teams to serve on at this church, places to plug in and get around people that want to care for you and love on you. So don't make an excuse, don't wait, beg, barter, plead, bribe somebody after the service is over today, nudge your neighbor right now and say, get me plugged in somewhere. If you are not plugged in, I cannot stress this enough. My wife and I would not have survived our season in Portland away from all that we knew if we did not have a loving spiritual community around us there and back here praying for us and loving on us and drawing near to us in the moments when we needed it. So don't wait. And one of the greatest blessings moving back to Bloomington was that I had relationships already built up and Renee had some relationships built up here too of people we knew. And we got to jump right into a wonderful small group that has loved on us and just made us feel welcome from day one. And the church staff has loved on us as we've joined the team. And there are so many other people just in leadership and volunteering and just a part of this church that have done that for us. And I promise you, they are dying to do the same thing for you. So don't wait because you can't do life alone. These are some of the most loving and inviting people you will ever meet. One last observation we see in this chapter, uh, take a look at verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and here's his response. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And then if you read on verse 20 through 23, uh, he kind of sings this little song, this prayer back to God, thanking him for the answer. And so here we see Daniel respond with worship and humility. He acknowledged where the answer really came from. As we read on in the rest of this passage here at the end, uh, verse 25 on through verse 30, you see Daniel come into the king's presence. And when the king asks him, you know, can, do you have the answer to my problem? Uh, this isn't going to be on the screen, but this is what Daniel says. He says, no wise men, nobody here can give you that answer. And you know what? If it was me, here's probably what I would have said. But I got the answer. I'm the wise man who figured it out. I've got it. Let's go. That's not what Daniel says. He says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known the king to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And the only time Daniel references himself as, as, as doing anything in this whole thing is at the end, he says, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king. He says, it was just revealed to me. I didn't figure it out. I didn't go back and study and like have some, like you know, Diviner's 101 handbook that I just looked at to figure this out. No, it was just revealed to me. We have to remain humble. We have to acknowledge our need for God 
in this world. We have to acknowledge our need for Jesus to realize that we don't have all the answers. To realize that under our own strength, when push comes to shove, at some point, we will fail. And yes, God's given us all natural talent and wisdom and abilities that will carry us in this life, and that's what he gave them to us for. But at some point, if all we rely on is ourself, we will come to the end of ourselves, probably sooner rather than later. And maybe you already have. Maybe, you've, maybe you're way past the end of yourself. You're like, listen, that, the end of myself came 10 years ago, and I've just been limping along ever since, just trying to figure out what in the world to do with this. And you're wondering, what's the point? I've been stuck down here at rock bottom for so long. What's the point of trying anymore? And I think that's the beauty of the gospel because Jesus doesn't wait for us to climb out of that hole and for us to figure out that we need him. He climbed down into the pit with us. He climbed up on that cross and he took the weight of our sin on his shoulders. And I think it's at this point we need to turn and admit our need for Jesus, that we alone aren't enough and that we need help to begin now to develop the resilient faith that can sustain us in the midst of the unrealistic, the unexpected, and the just plain hard moments in life. A few weeks ago, I got to spend some time away at a worship leaders conference with some of our staff team. Shauna got to go, my wife got to go, and Matt Limbrick, um, and uh, one of the speakers at this conference, Carl Lentz, he's a pastor in New York City. He said this, and I, I think this really just kind of brings this whole text together really beautifully. Don't show up empty when God expects you to be full. Don't show up empty when God expects you to be full. Daniel didn't know how Nebuchadnezzar would respond or what fate lied in store for him after this moment. But he walked into the king's presence full and ready to be used by God, whatever that meant. And if you go on to read the rest of chapter 2, it gives us the dream of the king and its interpretation. And as we listen to the presentation, this is one of the most profound prophecies in all of scripture. Because it gives us the, essentially a, a snapshot to the rest of the story. The rest of our story. It tells the rise and fall of the kingdoms of man to come after Babylon, ultimately leading to a fulfillment of this entire story found in this text by the coming of the kingdom of heaven and God's ultimate plan to redeem the earth and establish his throne among men. And that got revealed to Daniel. That got revealed to the king. And I'm sure the cultures to come after it, were they knew this because of this moment. They were enlightened because of Daniel's faith and his willingness to step into this situation. Daniel helped to shape culture in not only Babylon, but for other kingdoms to come after him. This tells of the story all the way back to God's promise to Abraham to make him a nation to bless all other nations and the promise of the Israelites to receive a Messiah in the coming King Jesus and that kingdom to be established forever. Can you imagine what Daniel would have missed out on had he shown up empty when God expected him to be full. Can you imagine what the king would have missed out on? What Babylonian culture would have missed out on? Can you imagine what the people around this community and this world are missing out on? Because more often than not, you and I show up empty in moments when God expects us to be full 
and to pour out a blessing upon the world around us. Can you imagine? I don't ever want to be caught empty when God expects me to be full and when I have the chance to shape someone's eternity. You can't maintain peace in tough situations when you're running on fumes. You need your community to be there to help you kickstart your engines when you've stalled out. And here's the greatest paradox of all time. When we empty ourselves of ourselves, humbly worship Jesus as king and accept his death on the cross as a saving offering for us, he fills us up to the point of overflowing and to be a blessing to those around us. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment. And if you want to pray, if you want to talk, if you want to explore what it looks like to take your next step of faith, I'm going to be down front after the service. And I would love to just pray with you and help you take these next steps. Jesus wants us to be full of his spirit, to experience the peace of Christ richly in our hearts that Paul talks about in Colossians. To be aware of his presence in every moment, full of resilience, so that when the time comes... When the unexpected, the unrealistic, and the just plain hard hit, we can withstand our culture's struggles and leave a kingdom impact that will shape the world for years to come. I invite you to stand with me as I pray, and then we're going to sing together. Jesus, I thank you so much that, uh, that we, just, we get to experience your presence here and now, God, and that your spirit, I love what Carl Lentz said uh, at, the, at the conference. He said, man, your spirit just provides free refills. It's like one of the best theological statements ever. Free refills in the spirit, Jesus, that we never have to show up empty because your spirit wants to walk with us in each and every moment. So God, as we, uh, as we seek to develop a faith that can withstand hardship and withstand trials in this life, God, would you meet us in our lowest moments and in our highest moments? Help us to have the peace in our hearts that Daniel had in this moment that allowed him to respond calmly. Help us to build the intentional discipling relationships in our community that can lift us up and carry us further than we could go on our own. And God, in all things, may we give you praise and acknowledge where our help comes from, from you and you alone, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.